This episode of Dear Hank and John is brought to you by Blue Land. Did you know that uh, about 5 billion, billion? That's a de- I checked that because that's a lot. Plastic hand soap and cleaning bottles are thrown away every year. And if that's not bad enough, most cleaning formulas are 90% water, which is heavy. We're shipping around all this water using fuel when we don't have to. Every year, Americans throw away 25% more trash from Thanksgiving to New Year. This year, maybe turn the New Year's resolution into action that makes a difference by switching to Blue Land. Blue Land is on a mission to eliminate single-use plastic by reinventing cleaning essentials to be better for you and the planet with the same powerful clean you're used to. It's a simple idea. They have refillable cleaning products. They have a nice design. I have them in my home. It looks nice on your counter. You fill the reusable bottles with water, drop in the Blue Land tablets, wait for them to dissolve, and you never have to grab bulky, heavy cleaning supplies on your grocery run ever again. And refills, because they're small and you don't have to ship a bunch of water across the country, starts at just $2.25. You can even set up a subscription or buy in bulk for additional savings. From cleaning sprays to hand soap, toilet bowl cleaner, and laundry tablets, Laundry tablets, everybody, you know what I mean. All Blue Land products are made with clean ingredients that you can feel good about. Blue Land is trusted in over a million homes, including, yeah, mine. Blue Land has a special offer for listeners right now. You can get 15% off your first order by going to blueland.com slash dearhank. You won't want to miss it. Blueland.com slash dearhank for 15% off. Again, blueland.com slash dearhank to get 15% off. Welcome to Dear Hank and John. Or as I prefer to think of it, Dear John and Hank. It's a comedy podcast about death, where me and my brother John answer your questions, give you dubious advice, and bring you all the week's news from both Mars and AFC Wimbledon, except this week we're not going to do that, because this is being recorded in advance. How are you doing, John? I'm doing well. Th- thanks for asking. It's so sweet of you to, to be thoughtful like that. Uh, the other thing that we need to say, Hank, is that uh, in addition to this podcast being recorded uh, very far in advance... Uh, we're taking a week off after this week, which is, you know, good news for people who don't like dubious advice, uh, but bad news for people who love AFC Wimbledon and get their AFC Wimbledon news only from Dear John and Hank, which I know is a pretty significant portion of uh, uh, fans of the podcast. Most of them, I assume, listen for the news from AFC Wimbledon. Uh, Just follow me on Twitter or follow AFC Wimbledon on Twitter to find out what happened, whether the Dons did indeed qualify for the playoffs. Oh, so this is happening like right at the like most important moment in the history of this year's AFC Wimbledon. Arguably the most important moment in the history of AFC Wimbledon, potentially, because potentially we have a 25% chance of going up to League One and becoming the greatest third-tier soccer team in not just the history of England, but the whole history of the universe. Oh, that's exciting, John. Well, I'm doing well as well. Um... And we're going to answer some questions. Does that... Oh, no, you got a poem. Uh, Hank, you got a Hank, poem. Hank, Hank, poem. Hank, poem. usually we have a poem oh. this part of the day. But? Well, do you want one? Yeah. Well... I mean, as much as I ever do. Wait. <laughs> <laughs> I thought we'd read another poem from Francis Cornford, Hank, the uh, poet whose husband was named Francis Cornford. This one is called The Guitarist Tunes Up. With what attentive courtesy he bent over his instrument, not as a lordly conqueror who could command both wire and wood, but as a man with a loved woman might, 
inquiring with delight what slight essential things she had to say before they started, he and she, to play. It's a little dirty, but, you know, I figure we can handle it. Yeah. All right. All right, Hank, should we answer some questions from our listeners? Uh, yeah. This question comes from Lisa, who writes, Dear John and Hank, my fiancé is starting a startup. He has funding and everything. It's super swell. Uh, This isn't his first time doing the startup thing, but it is his first time doing it in a serious relationship. He's already starting to feel pulled in multiple directions, like going to bed together, getting up together, doing all the work, staying in shape, plus normal day-to-day eating, cooking, cleaning stuff, and feels stressed because he doesn't feel like he's working enough. It is true that if he were working more, the products would get out the door faster, but it's also true that if he burns himself out in the process, it's moot. As busy, well-rounded business people in successful relationships, what words of advice would you have for us? I love the idea of a successful relationship. Every day of my relationship is full of success. I love the idea that we are well-rounded business people. I I don't know anyone (laughs) in my life who is less well-rounded than Hank. What do you mean? I mean that you spend, you regularly send emails at 3.15 in the morning. Uh, I mean, because it's part of my roundness. It's, you got to go all the way around (laughs) if you want to be round. (laughs) Yes, Hank is an extremely well-rounded individual, as long as uh, you are only measuring work output. <laughs> yeah, it happens at all all times. Uh, I, I, oh, yeah, I don't know. It's going to be a hard one for me, uh, because I, I, don't, I don't know that I'm that good at this, actually. Uh, I don't think you're at all good at it. <laughs> I do, uh, I do work out at least twice a week. I sometimes make dinner, like, two or three times a week. I, um, I watch like maybe an hour or two of TV a day and uh, I read and I read probably one book a month. So I feel like I, I do okay. Yeah. But I mean, yeah. Okay. That's fine. So, so what is your, what is your tip where, I, I mean, you are somebody who has a lot, has done a lot of starting up of companies that have become successful and now you have to run them while also starting up new companies to fill some uh, gaping hole uh, <laughs> in, in your heart that only apparently more business ideas can fill. So what is, what is, what is your advice? Uh, well, I, I mean, I kind of think it's, it's a, it's a bit of a shame that this is how it's structured now that like you have to dedicate yourself a hundred hours a week to one thing in order to compete with all the people who are, you know, dedicating themselves to something for 90 hours a week, uh, because that's the only way to get ahead. And that's how your, you know, your investors are looking at you for your output and to, to get the product out. And I, I mean, it, it is such a struggle. And, and like my life isn't like that because in the end, I, I don't have investors. I am responsible to my employees. I am responsible to myself and I'm responsible to my audience. Uh, but like in, in the end, like if something, if there's a reason why I can't do something, I can say that reason. And it's not someone who is paying me or has this like, you know, this sort of very interesting relationship that funders have with, uh, with founders. Um, so I, I don't, I get to make a lot more decisions. I feel like than the average business owner in terms of how I spend my time. But, um, but my my suggestion, it, it, but the main thing is, okay, here's here's my tip. Figuring out how to not feel like you're being lazy when you are in fact taking care of yourself is about valuing that, is about valuing the, 
the other things in your life. And, and because of this, I have a kind of unhealthy way of looking at it, but it is the only way I can manage to do it where I think of the things like taking care of myself, taking care of my relationships as projects in the same way as I think of my businesses. And so I'm like, like creating a, a like a happy, pleasant home environment that I enjoy and that is constructive to me is in itself an important venture that an important project that I am taking on and one of the big projects of my life and one of the mo- like one of the most important things that I will do with my life and uh and and looking at it that way allows me to not feel like I'm not working enough when when I'm doing something that isn't traditionally considered work that's what I got. I like that answer a lot. I do think that uh, adulthood for me has largely been about prioritization and then to a lesser extent about um, weight gain. <laughs> and then the third thing that I would say that adulthood has been about for me has been uh, eschatological anxiety. I've had a lot of worry about the end of, of me and then to a lesser extent of the species. Well, well, that's, I mean, well, I, we got there early, John. Okay, we've got another question. This one's, this one is from Carly Grace, who asks, Dear Hank and John, Bob Ross said multiple times that he's painted over 30,000 paintings, and I want one. He also said he's donated over 2,000 of them. Where are those 28,000 other paintings? That's a lot of paintings. I imagine if he had, like, five paintings, they would each be, each be worth huge sums of money, but because this man painted so many, they might not be worth that much. Sentimentality? Sure. But because there are so many, can I just pick one up for $20? Where does one find a Bob Ross painting? Hank, I do not know the answer to this question. Do you? Uh, I kind of know the answer to this question in that uh, if Bob Ross painted 30,000 paintings, which he said that he did, and I'm going to trust that he did, I they all have homes. People like them and they have them and they're on their walls and they do not want to sell them because it is very hard to find a Bob Ross painting. It is. And and you can buy them, but they are expensive. Yeah. They're like $10,000 yeah. or like thousands of dollars at least. Um, and, and there are also like a lot of various kinds of Bob Ross paintings and some like he did a lot of smaller ones. He when Before he was a person on TV, he would paint uh, like gold panning pans when he lived in Alaska. Yeah. And so those are like, a, like you know, very valuable because he did them a long time ago versus smaller canvases versus... And like, I think a lot of them were given away to like friends and family and students and, um, and donated and then purchased in fund drives by PBS people. And, uh, and the people who have those want to keep them. And there are a lot of Bob Ross fans in the world. And having a Bob Ross, fan, uh, Bob Ross painting on your wall is a really cool thing to have. And so, amazingly enough, you can, ha- you can, you can have painted 30,000 paintings and still have people want to pay lots of money for them. It, Pretty crazy. It is. Uh, although, to be clear, I don't think there are 30,000 Bob Ross paintings in circulation. I think a lot of those have, have been lost or maybe he painted them over. Who knows? Uh, we don't have a great idea of how many Bob Ross paintings are currently in circulation. Yes, it's certainly less than 30,000 or even 28,000 because probably like when he's saying that he's this is Bob Ross saying I've painted a lot of paintings. That is how I am now able to do this quickly and well. Uh, But a lot of those paintings were were probably just scrapped and like 
I don't like this. I don't like this. I don't like this. And that's part of the process yeah. of being a creator is that oftentimes you, you know, as you know, John certainly knows, you do not publish every word you write. And uh, I'm sure I have published fewer <laughs> novels than I have written. <laughs> and I'm sure that that's true for Bob Ross, that he uh, he painted a lot more paintings than uh, that ended up being in the hands of other people. It occurs to me belatedly that lots of people probably don't know who Bob Ross is. He was a uh, painter um, who painted uh, on public television in the United States and encouraged the idea that everyone uh, had sort of the ability uh, to paint and, and helped us sort of like see art as something that regular people did, not just uh, that was done by geniuses in ivory towers. Hank, we have another question. This one comes from uh, Paul, who writes, Dear John and Hank, over the past year, I've watched my favorite soccer team, Aston Villa, become the worst team in the English Premier League. I am from the U.S., and I have been a fan for about five years, but since the second tier of English football is not televised in the States, and Aston Villa will certainly be relegated within the next few weeks, bad news. Uh, that that will certainly be relegated, uh, must be changed now, Paul, to uh, has indeed been relegated. Uh, <laughs> Is it wrong to swap my favorite teams? It feels disloyal after closely following them for years, but I have no other choice if I'm going to get my English football fix. So here's my answer, Paul, and I'm, I'm interested to see what Hank thinks about this question. Just kidding. He has no opinion. Um, <laughs> first off, you can watch uh, the championship, the second tier of English football uh, on TV. Uh, it's on BN Sports. Not every game is televised, but lots are. Uh, it's not necessarily an HD broadcast, but it is it is a television broadcast, which frankly, I would kill to watch AFC Wimbledon uh, every week. And I'm not exaggerating. I would kill. No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. <laughs> People die all the time. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I, we're going to I'm going to need like more context on who I'm killing and what. No, I wouldn't kill. Uh, so I would say my experience following AFC Wimbledon from afar which I'm lucky if they have one televised game per year, uh, is that it is still very fulfilling. And I'm able to watch Premier League soccer uh, and enjoy it, even when Liverpool isn't playing uh, as a neutral fan. And so I think you can have a second team. I think sometimes it's good to have a second team. It's nice to have a rooting interest. But I don't think that you should leave Aston Villa behind, not least because I think they are very likely to head back to the Premier League within the next couple of years. Uh, so I, I wouldn't I wouldn't leave Aston Villa. Um, but your support for Liverpool is always welcome. All right, that's all I have to say on that myself. Uh, this question is from Krista, who asks, Dear Hank and John, I recently went through natural childbirth without drugs or uttering even one single curse word, so I consider myself pretty tough. However, the other wow. day I pulled at a hangnail and it pulled too far. Every time I move that finger, I think, ouch, that hurts. Why is this very small, stupid injury so troublesome? <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I, I, the idea of enduring natural childbirth without the benefit of obscenity uh, just seems unthinkable to me. <laughs> I know that wasn't the question, but I just want to say that for the record. I have I have witnessed childbirth uh, on a few occasions, and the thought of not having profanity at your disposal in that time of need just seems unfathomable. Yeah, I get also uh, am amazed. And, uh, but, but now that I, now I do know though, John, this wonderful thing that when I get a really bad hangnail, I'm basically experiencing the same pain as childbirth. So I don't think that's accurate. Um, Krista, I would <laughs> Krista, say that Krista uh, seems to think so. 
Yeah, the only thing I'd say, Krista, is that uh, your fingertips uh, have a lot of nerve That's endings true. so that you can, you know, feel things. Uh, and that may be part of why it hurts so much. But I can't imagine that it actually hurts more than childbirth, not least because uh, my wife is in the next room and just came out from that room to look into this room to look at me very sternly <laughs> to make clear that childbirth is very painful, much more painful than a hangnail. Yeah, it may be a, a matter of scale and being like going into the experience saying this is going to hurt very badly versus there is this thing that happens to me all the time and it's stupid. And why, why, why does this hurt so bad and uh, is a useless, tiny, tiny, tiny thing? It uh, shouldn't. And so you think, so one would be like, why? This is dumb. <laughs> All right, Hank, let's move on to another question. This one is from Megan, who writes, Dear John and Hank, what do you think are the top five best things humanity has ever invented? Uh, this is a great question. Should we, should we do the fun list or the real list? No, I think we should do the real list. What are the top five all-time things that humanity has invented? Uh, language. Ah, mm, uh, that's a good one. That's a good one. And now th there's a question of like, do you count uh, like fire, which we didn't invent, but we did master and it's proven right. very useful. Well, you could say that we invented the, the processes with regards right. so to like creation for instance, of we fire. didn't really invent penicillin so much as we discovered it, but right. it's been huge. However, I would not rank penicillin in the top five. I no, would rank either. language in the top five. I think that's a good one. All right, Hank, what about this is my uh, sort of 20th century, actually 19th century nomination for the top five, the steam engine. Um, good. I was actually going to say, yeah, yes. Well, the, so mm, I can we put the steam engine together with the electrical generator? Could that be one? Because yes. then definitely. Yes, I think we almost yeah. have to. I mean, like, steam yeah. engines were good yeah. and Electricity useful, but, like, slash, connecting them to generators. Slash yeah. the steam engine. That's yeah. that. And, yeah. okay. and those were very different times and happened, you know, in different people and different places. But, like, that's a that's a good one. Mm -hmm. um, what about... Uh, uh, what about sanitation slash uh, sewers slash toilets? Yeah, I, I think that I think that's a really good one. I think that yes, that'll that basically allowed for cities to work. Yeah, it's one of my top fives just because I'm such a big fan of uh, of not not cholera. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I I think uh, I think that we would be remiss to leave out uh, the invention of taking a seed uh, that you want to grow and putting it in the ground intentionally for it to grow there. Yeah. Um, that, that was huge. huge. Agriculture. Yeah, agriculture. Agriculture and, and is all of the, big uh, deal. All of the processes of, 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 you know, that go along with agriculture, of selecting the things that went well and, and, and having, you know, planting those more and then selecting the things that went well over and over again through generations uh, has been a, a really big one. Um, yeah. We've got one more. Got one more. I think that we're, we're. I think that we're on the same page about what the fifth one has to be. Uh, is it? Let's just say it on three. Ready? One, two, three. Vaccines. Bowling pins. Oh, bowling pins are great, but I think vaccines are an even bigger deal than the personal computer. <laughs> I, I, I would be all right without the personal computer. I don't. I mean, we wouldn't have this podcast. Uh, That's for sure. But. 
I don't think I'd be all right without vaccines. No, I mean, ant- antibiotics are a really big deal, too. Um, and yeah, I, no, I, I like I'm, antibiotics, but I think vaccines are a bigger deal. I'm not sure which one I think is bigger. I'm not sure which one I think is bigger. I guess, you know, vaccines probably bigger mm. than antibiotics. It's hard. I don't know. Yeah, they're both great. I'm, I'll tell you what, when people ask me, like, what period of the past I'd like to go back to, just none, none, because all of those periods in the past... Terrible. 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 Full of gangrene. Full of not garlic bread. Just like gangrenous, horrifying anesthesia free surgeries. Yeah, give me yeah. Oh. Give me give me podcasts. Give me iPhones. You know what I was thinking about I love recently, Hank? Toothpaste. Ah, uh, yeah, I like toothpaste too. I think it's a good I think it's a good job. And fluoridated water. There's so many things that I love about 21st century living. You know another thing that I think is an underappreciated invention? Photography. Oh, uh, The man, idea yes. that we can use light and time mm-hmm. uh, to create an image, is, it's, it's just a fascinating idea that we never, we, we never had that idea for like 99.9% of human history. Right, and, and the, you know, for historians, it's so huge because what we paint and what we draw and what we sculpt is very different you know, like it's it's never it's it's oftentimes not accurate. It it we're trying to create pieces of art that that have a lot of context with regards to the hist- like the moment that they are created in. But we lose all of that context. Whereas a, with with a photograph, at least we know that this is this is the thing that and and you know sometimes like there's context there too. But like you can see what things looked like, how people dressed. And yeah, and yeah, like yeah. Although you're always, I mean, you're always seeing uh, to an extent. Even with a photograph, you're seeing a staged image, and right. that's something that's mm-hmm. like hard to remember because photographs feel. There's a great essay um, uh, about this by by Susan Sontag on photography, where she talks about how you know photographs seem real, uh, but of course you know they aren't, or or at least we need to like interrogate their their realness. Uh, but I I, I am just completely bowled over by the photograph. And we take it for granted because we live mm-hmm. in this world that's that's super saturated with images where people, you know, all, uh, most people around the world have images, uh, you know, in their, in their homes, on their walls. Uh, we take images for granted now, access to images, but uh, it's all very new. It is. And very cool. Do you want another question? Sure, I could just talk about inventions all day, but we yeah, let's what's what's another one? Uh, we got one from Lorena who asks, "Dear Hank and John, how do you ask for a surprise party? I want one, but it wouldn't be a surprise if I told someone that I wanted it. Mm-hmm. Your dubious advice is needed." Well, Lorena, the first thing that you do <laughs> is uh, you just ask your friends uh, to listen to "Dear Hank and John." Right? Yeah. Because uh-huh. you have a pretty unusual name, Lorena. Not unprecedented, certainly, but fairly unusual. Uh, so Lorena's friends and or family, she wants a surprise party. Give Lorena a surprise party and make it truly surprising. Don't make it on Lorena's birthday. That's right. I mean, make it a surprise party. I think that this goes for everyone who knows anyone named Lorena. And if you That's have, right. All Lorena's love surprise parties. That's a rule. If Hank. you if you throw a, a surprise Lorena party, yeah. send us your pictures of it. Yeah. We'll put them up on the Patreon. Yeah. And I'm very excited, especially if they are the wrong Lorena. Uh, yeah, just um, like shower Lorenas around the world with yeah. stunning parties. It's just like 85-year-old your grandmother named Lorena. 
gets yep. a surprise party. I'm into it. Yep. She just like comes home at the end of the day, uh, long day, uh, doing whatever 85 year olds do when they go out, <laughs> comes Knitting. back home. There's like 300 people in her house <laughs> chanting Lorena, Lorena, Lorena. I'm sure that. 85-year-old grandmothers love that kind of thing. Absolutely. Hank, Um, are you a surprise party fan? uh, I don't know that I've ever had one. I had one. I hated it. I uh, and I feel bad because it's totally possible I have and I forgot. No, I had one. I remember. I it, it was uh, before Sarah and I uh, started dating, and it was it was a very well-intentioned surprise party. The problem is I don't like parties. Uh, and I certainly don't like having them sprung upon me. I have to work myself. <laughs> up for several weeks to prepare for any kind of social engagement. So to walk into a a restaurant thinking that you're going to have dinner with just one person and to find that instead you're going to have dinner with like 18 of them, it just made my stomach hurt. And and I think also that they're like at certain, like there's, there becomes, there's an age at which it doesn't make sense because you're going to celebrate the person's birthday party no matter what. And so you're not going to have a surprise birthday party because they know that there's a birthday party because, but like after a certain age, then you start not necessarily having a kind of a thing every year and so the surprise becomes like easier to pull off um well I, 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 Lorena doesn't mention a birthday no she does um, not that's that's why I think a surprise party for Lorena has to be not on a birthday because then you see it coming it has to be a truly random surprise party mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, what what I'm worried about, John, and I think this is a legitimate legitimate concern, is that no one who knows Lorena listens to Dear Hank and John, or they think we're kidding, which we're not. Well, but Lorena is obviously going to tell people like, oh, you really need to listen to the newest episode of Dear Hank right. and John. It's such a fantastic podcast about that. <laughs> and if you don't listen to it, you're uh, not a real And then friend. they'll be sucked in. Uh, By the way, Hank, can I just ask you a somewhat related question that I... I, I I just I find this a fascinating question to ask people along the lines of how you ask people what their favorite bridge is to try to get to know them. Mm-hmm. Do you remember or can you remember a wonderful surprise moment in your life? Like if I asked you what was the best surprise of your life, what would you say? Mm. You know what I mean? Like yeah. have you ever had like one of those like bolts of lightning from out of nowhere that's just wonderful news? Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, the the first thing that came to my mind was was realizing that my my uh, that this girl that I was really into was also into me, and that like that seemed like mm. so unlikely, like so like so <laughs> impossible, and I didn't believe it. But like but like all the signs pointed to it, and uh, and. And and I like had to make myself accept it. I've got I've got some others though. There was a uh, uh, there was a large media company that wanted to buy my blog once, and uh, yeah. and getting that email was just like what I I'm gonna make money. It didn't end up happening. <laughs> I was gonna say then it fell apart it when the economy apart. collapsed yes. in 2008. Yep, um, and that that was definitely one of them. Also getting that email uh, saying that. Like, like the first like three years of Vlogbrothers was like that happening like once a month, and, and mm. that was just that not was, the first seven months of Vlogbrothers. No. But yes, I know yeah. what you mean. There was just there were a lot of a lot of like oh my god, this is happening, this is happening, and it was it was very right. exciting, and and that sort of culminated in and uh, getting an email from someone being like, do you want to go interview the president? 
um, which was a pretty pretty <laughs> intense surprise. Uh, but like that wasn't as like wonderful though, because it also came with this whole bag of anxiety. <laughs> right, it all comes with all this stress. Yeah, the one the ones that stick out for me are first and foremost uh, the day that I would uh, we just moved to Indianapolis in uh, I think July of two thousand seven, and uh, I was on my computer looking at the front page of YouTube and I saw your face Mm -hmm. and I realized that we'd been featured on YouTube and, and that like our lives were dramatically different than they had been 10 minutes ago. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the other that comes to mind is when I found out the, about the movie deal uh, for looking for Alaska, which has become a very complicated (laughs) moment in my life uh, 11 years later. But at the time, uh, you know, was by far the most money that I'd ever made uh, from from writing and 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 made it possible for us to move to New York and lots of other things and it really did happen like out of nowhere um, and so that was that that was a pretty uh, fun moment. It's I think it's I just think it's nice to remember those surprise moments. Like it gives me a little uh, jolt of encouragement mm-hmm, in my mm-hmm. life. Um, I've got a somewhat related question from Megan who asks, "Dear Hank and John, I love listening to the podcast." It beats out all other podcasts in my listening lineup. So, wow. And I have started to refer to it in my head as Brotherhood 3.0. Is listening to the podcast anything like watching the Brotherhood 2.0 videos when they first came out? I feel like I am now truly enjoying the Nerdfighters as part of something and not just catching up. Congrats on a year of potting, almost. And do either of either one of you surf? No, neither of us surf. No. I don't think. John, did you start surfing? I surf a lot of the internet. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Um, it, it is. I I wanted to talk about this uh, because I. It is. Yeah. It is a lot like that in some way. Um, yeah. It it feels more like uh, Brotherhood 2.0 than anything that we've done since 2007. Yeah. And it's that's a wonderful feeling. I hope that it's fun for our listeners, but it is a wonderful feeling for us. Um, you know, it's wonderful to see people make like Jurassic Mars artwork. It's wonderful to see people uh, make jokes about Ryan, whose name is Ryan. Um, <laughs> by the way, I, I just want to be clear about that. It wasn't Ryan's fault. Ryan didn't repeat <laughs> Ryan's name over and over again in Ryan's email. It was me. Uh it was me repeating Ryan's name. Ryan is not to blame for this situation. Only I am to blame. Um, but yeah, I, it, it is a really, it's really fun to have that uh, back and forth and to feel like um, things are, you know, like it, it, it feels like a community where lots of stuff is getting created on top of lots of other stuff, which is how Brotherhood 2.0 felt for me. Um and yeah, I haven't I haven't had that feeling since 2007. So I, I think you're I think you're on to something. Yeah, I mean, I th- I think that it lasted longer than 2007. But I th- I think that now there's so much built up on the YouTube channel, and I feel a lot of responsibility to make content that I'm very careful about, and that is you know, like I spend a lot of time thinking about that content, and and I feel I feel like I have to because it has a broad audience and it has you know potentially gets watched by lots of people they're not all the time and uh recently we had a but episode a video on vlog where there's that probably got fewer listens or views than a podcast um but <laughs> yeah it's kind of true um, i mean it's just fun but, it's just I, I don't know this is this is so much fun it's so purely fun you know what i mean it feels way more accessible because like I, we don't put 
Like we don't build up, not, not all of this like infrastructure is built up on it and we're just messing around and like that's really nice. And I'm really glad that we're doing it even though this is the second one we've done in a row and, and my voice hurts a little bit and I've gotten hungry and I have to pee. But let's keep going. Uh, well, Hank, we have a question as it happens from Ryan. Oh! It's not the same, Ryan, but oh. I'm just so excited about it. Uh, <laughs> Ryan writes, Dear John and Hank, my name is Ryan. <laughs> I'm just reading it. I'm just reading it, I promise. And I, comma, Ryan, am currently in my second year of college. Uh, just he, he didn't repeat himself, but I'm just going to keep doing it. Um, I'm a writer, a soccer player, a devout lover of Harry Potter, and a brother. I also happen to be gay. I like to think that being gay doesn't define me as a person, but as I've gone through adolescence and been introduced to some of the realities of adulthood, I found my experiences to be inexorably filtered through the lens of my individual perspective. Like, I find it very difficult, for example, to even begin to imagine any high school experience that doesn't feature acute and exhausting bullying due to sexual orientation. Similarly, I find it virtually impossible to imagine a life that doesn't include the utterly terrifying experience of coming out. This is problematic for me as a writer, because of course the majority of people don't see through this lens, and yet I find myself struggling to see anything outside of it. How do I remove this lens from my perspective so that I I can empathize with and tell the stories of people with different experiences, people who live with different realities? Or maybe is it just my job as someone from the LGBT community to tell the stories of LGBT people? I would very much appreciate your dubious advice. I mean, our advice on this is going to be especially dubious because it's so far outside of our own experience. But I do think Brian brings up a really important point here, Hank, which is that um, we talk a lot about uh, people from the dominant culture uh, writing outside of that dominant culture or trying to tell stories outside of that dominant culture. We almost never talk about um, the opposite, like this great YA writer, Daniel Jose Older, who's also a great follow on Twitter, um, wrote about how he wants to see a um, a panel at uh, a conference about writing someday where it's all uh, writers of color talking about how to write white people <laughs> because we have all of these... We have all of these panels where white people talk about how to write uh, about characters of color. And I think um, it's a really, really good point that uh, it's another way that we are sort of like focused on uh, the dominant culture. I don't think it's my place to tell you what kind of stories to write, Ryan. But I, I from my own experience, um, especially with my first novel, it was impossible for me to put away the lenses of my own experience because that's a big part of what I wanted to write. And that's a big part of, you know, what made me want to tell a story in the first place. And the other thing I'd say is that you're in your second year of college. Like you're still, uh, you're, you know, you're still finding your own writing voice. You're still processing that own, exp your, your own experiences of high school. And so I think inevitably they're going to shape your writing. And I think that's good news. I think, uh, you know, the world needs to hear uh, that story. And I don't think that you should feel bad about uh, wanting to tell it. I do think that uh, over time, you, you know, you, you learn how to use your own experiences to imagine uh, what life might be like for a fictional character. And that's a big part of uh, this kind of imaginative leap of writing. But I'm never going to be able to write uh, a character um, who went to high school and loves Harry Potter and knows what it's like to be bullied about their sexual orientation uh, the way that you can. And I think that's good news for you. And I think that's that's part of why I want to see your story in the world. That was a really good answer. 
And I don't have a ton to add. Well, why don't we ask one more question since we don't have news from Mars and AFC Wimbledon this week? Wait, Hank. What? We've totally forgotten about our sponsors. We did forget about our sponsors, John. Uh, uh, and, and I apologize to our sponsors. Uh, who I'm include, so sorry, sponsors. Who include the art of Bob Ross. Mm. Bob Ross's art. It's, it's available sometimes on eBay for lots of money. Uh, but also there are other artists that you can purchase their work for less money who probably needs your money more than Bob Ross, who is dead. <laughs> that, was, that was such a good advertisement, Hank. You should really get into professional full-time advertising. <laughs> yeah, I think that's how it works. Today's podcast is also brought to you by a well-rounded, balanced life. <laughs> a well-rounded, balanced life. Kind of foreign to us, actually. Yeah, a little, little bit. This podcast is also brought to you by Lorena's birthday party, or any kind of surprise party for Lorena. Whichever Lorena, for whatever reason, Lorena's, they need you to celebrate them. In a surprising way. And lastly, today's podcast is brought to you by agriculture. Agriculture, the invention that made it all possible. Oh, yeah. And also also language was an important part of making it all possible. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's funny. I, I wonder if we could have had... Uh, agriculture without language. I also wonder, are emojis language? Because if not, does that mean that my new 700-page novel written entirely in emojis mm. is a post-linguistic novel? John, you probably should have tried to write an entire novel with just facial expressions. So just film yourself for for hours making facial expressions mm -hmm. and see see what kind of story you could tell. That sounds like a terrible idea. <laughs> Well, so does a 700-page emoji novel, John. Well, you're gonna love it. It's full of surprises, including airplane trips, fires, and smiling poop. <laughs> Sometimes I like to imagine the world after us, the strange mammals that will emerge, the abundance of biodiverse plant life taking over our fields and factories and so on. I don't think this world will be better. I maintain that we are the most interesting thing to happen on Earth, and there is real beauty and meaning in our curiosity and compassion, even as we also cause and witness so much suffering. But at any rate, there will be a world after us, after each of us. And that's why there's life insurance. It exists to provide a financial safety net to those who love and count on you. Policy Genius's technology makes it easy to compare life insurance quotes from America's top insurers in just a few clicks to find your lowest price. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. So save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Policy Genius, because there will be a world without us. We've got a couple of things uh, before we get to our last question that are just responses that I want to talk to. Yeah. Uh, Emily writes in to say that during an episode, uh, and much to her horror, Hank called bananas appealing and nobody laughed. I did not mean to make that joke, but I am also horrified. 
And we've got another one from. from <laughs> I mean, that is that is just such a terrible pun. But I would like to congratulate Emily on noticing it. Also, Liam wrote in to say, "Dear John and Hank, this isn't really a question, but it is important." In one of the podcasts, Hank recommended asking someone what their favorite bridge was in order to start a conversation that isn't your everyday. Hey, what's up? Well, I said this to a girl I liked, and now I am going to prom with her. Success. I guess all of your advice is not dubious, Liam. <laughs> if if you walked up to a girl, asked her what her favorite bridge was, and then, like, within a couple hours, she was your prom date, let me submit that Hank's advice had nothing to do with it. Very little. Very little. <laughs> Congratulations, though. I hope you have a wonderful prom. Um, Hank, I'm going to be uh, crashing a prom this year. Did I tell you that? No, that's weird. I crash a prom every year. What? Yeah, so every year there's this uh, great uh, fundraiser for an organization I'm not going to name, lest... Uh, hardcore fans show up at the fundraiser and uh but downstairs from it there's a prom and every year uh i sneak in with with some of my friends <laughs> do people recognize you ever oh no no they just think that they think that we're chaperones right i guess that makes sense yeah so anyway looking forward to crashing prom again this year it should be fun sounds like it's going to be a great time all right uh hank let's ask one more question or answer one more question but we could also ask one why don't you ask it and i'll answer it okay i've got a final question for you john oh boy this question is from i've got it it's from grace mm -hmm. who asks dear hank and john i am absolutely furious with the minds of humans on this planet i am so utterly and completely full of rage and the root of this anger can only be traced to one thing vegetables mm. it has come to my attention that every piece of food classified as a vegetable can be sorted into already existing food categories with strict parameters for acceptance for example peppers have seeds and therefore should rightfully be placed with other foods with seeds known as fruits why has our species decided to compile a group of foods that have so little in common and no definitive qualities how has this terrible categorization been allowed to exist and what can we do to stop it well grace the answer to your question uh is that you're right that like potatoes have very little co in common with broccoli which has very little in common with uh you know like green peppers what those foods do have in common is that most people don't like eating them <laughs> unless they are deep fried. <laughs> so we've taken all the foods that we don't like eating unless they're deep fried. And what we do is we just call them vegetables. <laughs> I mean, basically, yes. I, I actually have, John, you may be surprised to find out complicated thoughts on this matter. Um, I'm not surprised to find that out at all. I mean, I thought that I pretty much elucidated the entire thing, but you can go on if you want. Uh, so there are, we, we classify things different ways and for different reasons. Vegetables are classified uh, with respect to human use, not with respect to their biology. And, and the, the best example of this is Fahrenheit versus Celsius. These are two mm -hmm. scales that uh, have are very practically different for practically for practical reasons. They are not just objectively different, and there isn't one that's objectively better. So we have Celsius. We have Fahrenheit here in America, but Celsius is often referred to as the superior scale because it makes sense. At zero degrees, water freezes. At 100 degrees, water boils. But there's a problem with it, which is that Fahrenheit is clearly better 
for actual humans. Correct. Because at zero degrees Fahrenheit, it is cold, and at 100 degrees Fahrenheit, it is hot. Yes, and with Celsius, at zero degrees Celsius, it is cold, and at 100 degrees Celsius, you are dead. <laughs> also, at zero degrees Celsius, it isn't that cold. You know what I mean? Like, it's cold. You should, <laughs> we true, sh- you should wear pants, but, like, you're not going to die of exposure. Right, right. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, basically, zero degrees uh, Fahrenheit is when you should be legitimately worried about your like life outside as is from my perspective 100 degrees fahrenheit um but the the uh oh yeah i strongly agree (laughs) i don't go outside at either i I don't go outside at over 100 degrees fahrenheit or under zero degrees fahrenheit that's the whole reason we created inside was to protect us from those kinds of natural disasters (laughs) protect us from the negatives and the three figures uh and, and in the same way vegetables is the classification for human use not based on their biology not based on science and so it can be frustrating once we start seeing things from a scientific perspective to be like ah god why do we use these dumb systems but it's because humans are humans and we use things for human reasons and vegetables are a categorization that's like well it's the things that seem kind of like vegetables and fruits are the the sweet things that have juice in them and stuff um Yeah, but then you've got the weird, like, crossovers. I mean, I kind of see the point that, for instance tomatoes right right yeah they are right they are right there in the classification they live in a weird in-between space because they're juicy Mm -hmm. but they aren't delicious Mm -hmm. they're like kind of good but they're not great like like a pear is great Mm -hmm. a tomato is like good like a good quality heirloom tomato is an enjoyable eating experience but it's not something that you want to have 40 of right yeah (laughs) well you don't have 40 pears either yeah but there are no i do (laughs) you know just like shoving a tomato in your face uh doesn't tend to happen and it would happen a lot more if it tasted more like a pear right Uh, so uh, though I'm not going to take anything away from people who love tomatoes. Uh, and and I did not know how good tomatoes were until I moved to Montana and had, like, not from Taco Bell tomatoes. Uh, yeah, there no, are those some, are better. Nothing really against amazing. Taco Bell, which uh, we, are, we are hoping will become a sponsor of this podcast. I love me some quesalupas. <laughs> I... Hank, I don't like it when you talk about brands and large corporations that could potentially sponsor us as if they aren't delicious, positive contributors to the social order. All right. Well, I I have, you know, I, I've been known to visit a Taco Bell, John. I've been known oh, that's to disgusting. visit a Taco Bell. I can't believe... I can't believe you've been to a Taco Bell. I last went to a Taco Bell in 1996. I have oh. no idea what, what's currently happening there. I, I last went to a Taco Bell probably more than a month ago. <laughs> so, like, you know, not every day. <laughs> I have complicated thoughts on okay. whether or not something should be a vegetable. And I think, it's, I think it's kind of confusing to have taken this existing word that existed for the description of something based on how humans use it and apply it scientifically, particularly with fruit, not so much as vegetable. I kind of feel like, I, I know that there are, like, there are, classifications of what a vegetable is but i kind of feel like a vegetable is kind of anything that can be grown on a plant and eaten i don't know if that's accurate but a fruit feels like it's a thing and it has a scientific definition um and it frustrates me that we use that same word 
uh, because they mean different things. And so, so really what we're saying when, when we say fruit is that it is like many words, a word with multiple definitions. And some of like, some of that's based on how we use the, the, the food item. And some of it's based on the biology of the plant structure. I mean, I, I thought that nothing could be less interesting than ending a podcast with the news from Mars, but I was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Don't be mean. Hank, what did we learn today? Oh, gosh. Uh, let me scroll up and see what we learned today. Uh, we learned that... <laughs> I mean, I learned way, <laughs> way more than I ever wanted to know about vegetable classification. Uh, we learned that the pain of a hangnail is similar to the pain of childbirth. <laughs> That's just, that is just it's, not true. Oh my gosh. I know. That's why it's funny to say. We learned that without agriculture and language, we would have been in big, big, big trouble. Uh, and we learned that when when push comes to shove and I'm forced to think of, of something really fast, I tend to just say bowling pin, apparently. And most importantly, we learned that Lorena, all Lorenas everywhere, need to be surprised with parties immediately immediately. Thanks so much for listening to Dear Hank and John. You can email us your questions or, or your comments at hankandjohn at gmail.com You can also find us on uh, Twitter. You can use the hashtag Dear Hank and John or just reply to us. I'm uh, John Green on Twitter. Hank is Hank Green. Or you can you can follow us on our preferred social media Snapchat. Hank is Hank G-R-E. I am uh, John Green's Naps or John Green Snaps. <laughs> this podcast is edited by Nicholas Jenkins. Uh, the theme music is from Gunnarola. Rosiana Hals Rojas helps us out with the questions. Uh, our intern, our wonderful intern, is Claudia Morales. You can help support the podcast and all of those people by going to patreon.com slash dearhankandjohn. And as they say in our hometown, don't, don't forget, forget to, to be, be awesome. awesome.